and often the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in the sight of Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Alleluia! Praise the Lord! Our text for this morning's meditation is our psalm of the day, Psalm 138. Most of the commentaries label it a psalm of thanksgiving, and it is. But it is also much more. It is a psalm of witness, a psalm of worship, a psalm that gives voice to our confession. It is a psalm, our psalm to the God who created us, the God who redeemed us, the God who sanctified us. It is our psalm of praise that ascends as incense before the triune God. It opens with the words, I give you praise, O Lord, with my whole heart. The Hebrew word here, yada, which I translated as praise, has several shades of meaning that show up in the various translations. The English Standard Version, which is in your bulletins, once read, I give you thanks, O Lord, and that's what I actually remembered when I did it. I'm sorry. Before I altered the text to follow the Hebrew lexicons more closely, we are certainly thankful, particularly for our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul closes his great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But somehow, thanks seems too small of a word to capture what the psalmist seeks to express. I, I'm, I'm thankful when the kids help holding the laundry. I'm thankful when a co-worker brings coffee. But thanks falls short of capturing my debt, capturing your debt, which Jesus paid on the cross. Thanks pales before the searing sting of the Roman lash and the bitter agonies of the cross. Peter reminds us that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die in the righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For that, I am thankful. Thankful to the point of death. Some translators, also following their lexicons, render yada as confess. I confess you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Confession is a regular part of the divine service. As part of our entrance into worship, we confess our sins before God Almighty. All my sins and iniquities which I have ever offended me in tongue. In response, we heard the words of absolution. I forgive you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We also confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, etc., etc. Yet confession lacks the enthusiasm, the, the heartfelt, life-changing energy that marks our song. Robert Alter suggests the word acclaim. I acclaim you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Not perfect, but it, it stretches our understanding a claim encompasses our mind and our spirit. It includes yesterday and today, and it looks forward into the future. To a claim embraces praise and thanksgiving and confession, which are all part of Psalm 138. I claim you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. That second half verse catches us off guard. Before the gods, the church is often this expression, as if it were some sort of polytheistic fossil, a remnant of false worship from an earlier age. When this explanation proved unsatisfactory, some simply struck it from the text. 
Or turn to the Septuagint. The Septuagint was penned roughly 200 years before Christ when the Greek-speaking Jews in Alexandria translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek for the sake of their non-Hebrew-speaking community. They rendered the second half of the verse this way. Before the angels, I will sing your praise. While it may or may not reflect the psalmist's intentions, we must acknowledge the existence of other created spiritual beings. After all, we sing in the Sanctus with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. We sing this song, never really knowing who's listening. Who's listening? John Stowell, in his book, Jesus Mason, suggests, quote, Every day there are opportunities for each of us to reach out to others to demonstrate the excellencies of Jesus. Their family members, colleagues at work, and strangers that happen to intersect the trajectory of our lives who are waiting to be touched by a follower of Jesus. In fact, my recommendation is that you plan to commit one intentional act of goodness every day just to stay in shape. Close quote. In the book, Stowell relates what he might call a successful failure. Let me paraphrase. It's six in the morning. Stowell has just finished his morning run and he ducks into a Starbucks to grab a couple of lattes, one for his wife who's going to be getting up when he gets back to the apartment. It had just opened, and there was only one other customer in line ahead of him. But it wasn't your ordinary wait in line for coffee drill. No, Stowell writes, the guy in front of me was in an intense argument with the clerk. In loud, in no uncertain terms, this customer was complaining that all he wanted was a copy of the New York Times that he had in one hand, and all he had in the other was a $50 bill. The fight was over the fact that the clerk didn't have the change to break his 50, and hence he couldn't sell him the paper. Still will defuse the situation, offering, hey, put the paper on my bill. I'll buy it for him. And thank him, and left. But the barista caught Stola off guard, thanking him for his kindness and suggesting that this world would be a better place to live if there were more people like him. Stola, reflecting on the law side of the law gospel distinction, was flummoxed. He recognized that this was an opportunity to point the glory upward, but nothing came to mind. Instead, he offered some self-deprecating remark and left with his lattes. A successful failure. He benefited his neighbor. That was a success. Yet he failed to give God the glory, which he would have labeled a failure. Still, I'll consult himself reflecting, maybe he saw my Bible Institute running ad and would make that connection. I can emphasize this, though. Maybe you can, too. Oh, that the enthusiasm and the confidence of the psalmist were mine. Before the gods, before my neighbor, before my family, before the stranger, before angels, I will sing your praise. Only the triune God is worthy of our praise. Worthy to receive our acclaim. And the psalmist goes on by offering a myriad of points to ponder about our awesome, awe-filling, awe-fulfilling God. First, God the Father is an object of praise. We acclaim his work of creation in the opening and the closing words of our song. Do not forsake the work of your hands. More literally, do not forsake the work of your handiwork. The image is that 
of the potter. From the creation account in Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living being. Repeated again regarding Israel in Jeremiah 18. Behold, like the clay in a potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. God the Father, God the potter, shaping and holding all things. is an image that we see all things, that we experience every day. God holds us in the palm of his hand. O Lord, do not relax your grip. Hold us tight, we pray, until we praise you in the heavenly realms with all your saints. There we will see your splendor revealed, for great is the glory of the Lord. The psalmist speaks of a time when all kings of the earth will give you thanks, O Lord, verse 4. Their praise will not be like the grudging praise of Dagon, the god of the Philistines. You remember the story, right? First Samuel chapter 5. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, are dead. The Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the Philistines and carried off to Ashdod. And they set it up beside Dagon, their king. The next morning, Dagon has fallen face down on the ground, a mute idol worshipping the presence of Yahweh. They set him back up, only to find the next day Dagon's hands and his head cut off and lying on the threshold of his temple. Or the wailing praise of the army of Sennacherib, the Assyrian juggernaut, 185,000 of his army struck down with the angel of the Lord. So he departed in, to Nineveh in defeat and dishonor. The day will come when all kings and all creation will sing of the ways of the Lord. Verse 5. The Son of God is also an object of praise in Psalm 158. In verse 2, the psalmist declares, I will bow down toward your side of the open tomb, we understand Jesus' words during his visit to the temple in John chapter 2. He just driven out the merchants and the money changers with a whip, and the Jews asked him for a sign for doing these things. And Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. He was referring to the temple of his body, as John explains later in the chapter, the temple of his body beaten and broken on the cross for my sin and for your sin. The temple of his body raised for our justification, Romans chapter 4. Father Patrick Reardon observes, as all regular visitors to the Holy Scripture know, the true temple of God is Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the definitive abiding place where mankind finds God. There mankind hears those precious words of absolution. You are forgiven. Declares, for they have heard the words of your mouth, referring to these words coming from this temple. Here the psalmist anticipates the prologue of the fourth gospel. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You and I see that glory through the eyes of John and the other witnesses of Scripture. We have received that glory through the death and resurrection of holy baptism. We have tasted that glory in the bread and wine, the body and his body and blood of the Holy Supper. And we will see that glory at the last, declaring with confidence of Job, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not 
another. And finally, the Holy Spirit is also an object of praise in Psalm 138. Notice this wonderful turn of phrase in verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Literally, you revive me, or you cause me to live. In the Nicene Creed, we confess, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. There, at the font, you and I were made alive, caused to live by the Spirit, declaring, you are mine for all eternity. The psalmist exclaims, On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Verse 3. But it was not just for the day of our baptism. He continues to come, to strengthen, to encourage. He calls us into the Christian church where he daily and richly forgives my, all my sins and the sins of all believers, as we learn in the small catechism. Or as Peter expresses it, hearkening back to Yahweh's words during the Exodus, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To proclaim the excellencies of him. Perhaps Peter's words capture the meaning yada better than any of our other translations. Today, in the words of Psalm 138, we gather to proclaim the excellencies of the triune God. Here in his creation, we give thanks for the all the Father has done and continues to do for us. Here at the font, we confess the triune name that is ours through our baptism and into the death and resurrection of his Son. Here in worship, we acclaim the triune God by the power of the Holy Spirit that enables our hearts to believe lips to confess. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.